Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Please. Chris Whittingham here until 10 on 560 WQAM. Talk plenty of Russell Westbrook over the course of the show. And joining us right now to further the conversation is Ira Winderman of the Sun Sentinel on Twitter at Ira Heatbeat. Very much appreciate his time joining us from, I believe, Las Vegas, Ira? Still in Las Vegas. Still hoping, in Las Vegas. To, like, the movie, like the movie says, hoping to leave Las Vegas eventually. Uh, I watched the rest of the Heat Summer League from home after two weeks on the road, including a week in Sacramento. But, but Chris, if I could add something to the unbelievable amount already talked about Russell Westbrook, I might even surprise myself. <laughs> right, and I feel like every time you come on the station, it's probably now to discuss this subject matter. So uh, I, I do feel for you know having to come up with a, a unique take and, and a unique opinion. But I'm actually not going to start there. I'm going hey, to start <laughs> uh, with the conversation we were having in the previous segment, which is okay. Jimmy Butler chose to come to Miami, and I said for reasons passing understanding. Because I, I just look at, he could either be the partner for Kawhi or fill that third space that was available in L.A., and I just think there were better basketball situations for him than in Miami. And if he said he wants to win, I just don't think that if it's just him, and the Russell Westbrook thing was not obvious when he signed, I, I don't get why he chose to be here. How do you understand his decision to come here? You know, Chris, it's really interesting. Everyone looks at these things through those specific prisms that you either go for more money, you go to a place to win, you go to a place that makes your job easier. I think people forget that even in real life, Chris, plenty of people don't take the jobs people think they should. Plenty of people you run into when you're you know, a cocktail hour or something and you go, man, you turned down that place, you could have worked at Microsoft, you could have been at Google, you could have done this. Sometimes people just want, to, want the fit. They just want to do what they feel is right. Matter of fact, Chris, I think in real life, most people do that. There are plenty of times when people have a chance for more money, for greater career advancement, for greater accolades, whether it's location, whether it's comfort, whether it's just always wanting to try something. You see people step away from a good job and just do something, whether it's joining the Peace Corps or something else, because they just want to. I think that's what Jimmy Butler's about. We've always known that Jimmy is a little bit different, not necessarily in a bad way, but in a different way. And in Minnesota, he was playing behind Carl Anthony Towns, and he would never be the star. And in Philadelphia, it was all about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And he went with, if he went with Kawhi, he'd be behind Kawhi the champion. If he went to the Lakers, he'd be behind Anthony Davis and LeBron. That's what the irony of this very moment is about. That if ultimately we find out through some super secret source or the person we call Woj that the reason that Jimmy Butler came to Miami was after all those years since leaving Chicago, and not that long ago, he again wanted to be the man. How ironic would it be if Russell Westbrook arrived two or three (laughs) weeks later? Right, and and I find that potential combination to be something that isn't nearly talked about enough when it comes to the specter of this trade. I mean, these are two of the most... 
I, I don't even know what it would driven aggressive. I don't even know what the word uh, sort of um, st- strong headedness. I don't even know what the what, what the correct sure. way of describing those two. Yes, strong willed, all those things. And you know what, Chris? I was actually waiting to talk to you this week because I know that you're so into metrics and things like that. Also, so you have that angle: ball dominant guys, guys who want their ways, guys who are. I guess the best word is headstrong. But also from a metric standpoint. Guys who really aren't very good three-point shooters at all mm-hmm. in a game that is only about three-point shooting. Basically, the Raptors win the title because Fred Van Vliet hits a bunch of threes. So now you look at a Heat, a heat lineup. Let's say they get let's, – let's forget who even they're sending out. If you look at a Heat lineup, and I'm going to start you, Chris, with a lineup of Jimmy Butler, Russell Westbrook, and Bam Adebayo. I think Bam is pretty safe there. How do you salvage outside shooting? Is just two shooters on the floor enough to create any kind of spacing? I, I I just don't, and even those two shooters, where, I mean, the Heat don't really have players who are just sort of out and out. Maybe Tyler Hero can become one if you yeah. save him from this trade, but they don't really have out and out. I mean, this is a spot, maybe Myers Leonard, but I mean, then you're then you're having to figure out Leonard and well, Bam I, defensively. I, I just... You look, you're looking at Kelly Olynyk probably as, mm-hmm. you know, hoping again he picks up the three-point shooting, and for argument's sake, I'll even throw Tyler Hero in there, which I think is a rough spot for a rookie to play with two headstrong guys like that in a lineup like that. But I don't know if, I don't think that's enough spacing. You know, I still think you need more threats, especially when you're rolling off the bench. Who rolls off the bench then? I mean, Deion Waiters or, or Duncan Robinson. I think Pat Riley's the kind of person who just likes to collect stuff. And then he goes to his coach, I got a lot of stuff for you. Make this stuff work. <laughs> well, we knew in 2010, 2011, it took a full year for Dwayne Wade to come off the ball, for Chris Bosh to become a stretch five and make it work. I think this could be the ultimate challenge again for Eric Spolstra. Right. And I mean, if you think about it, his last three years have been, you know, I mean, really five, if we're being honest, since LeBron left. And even right. that was a difficult coaching job. It hasn't been, although I guess you could say last year was probably as, as easy as it got just because uh, it's entirely the same roster, but there are still redundancies therein. But uh, from from an efficiency standpoint, I do think that Jimmy Butler has a fairly significant step up on Russell Westbrook, at least when you look at the true shooting percentage numbers. And actually, yeah. a majority of that is down to how much better he is from the free throw line and the fact that. A year ago, he's 35% from three. That's not great, but it's not bad. Whereas you look at Russell Westbrook, and I don't think it can be reiterated enough that he's among the league's worst volume three-point shooters. He is actually the worst free-throw shooter amongst players who score at a high volume. And even from two is towards the bottom you know, quarter of the NBA's volume shooters. It's just, I think that efficiency, and maybe you can tell me that I'm wrong from a culture standpoint, that maybe Eric Spolster and all that can figure out efficiency with a player, but... But I think Russell Westbrook is a pretty defined player that we know almost exactly who he is going to be by virtue of 11 years of evidence. Yeah, I read a stat today. Mark Deeks, uh, who covers the NBA from Europe but is very good with numbers, said that Russell Westbrook, for players who took nearly as many shots in that upper quadrant of players, had the third worst true shooting percentage in the NBA right up there. I think it was with like Josh Okogie, if I pronounce that right, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and, and Wiggins. Like that was yeah, I, I, have it, I have it as minimum, because Butler was on like 13.9 attempts a game. Right. So minimum 13 attempts a game and minimum 50 games played. Uh, Westbrook is 50th out of 51 with only Andrew right. Wiggins worse. And uh, Dennis Schroeder above him. Yeah, I mean, it was just so it's, you know, again, but of course, you know, as you know, Chris, being around the Heat so long, they always look at their, themselves as the, the place to cure the wayward player. Come mm-hmm. here, we'll fix you, we'll make it work. 
you know, well, once you get in the 30s, you also get stubborn like we just spoke about also. This is a tough one because I, I think if you step back from this and someone told you the Miami Heat with minimal pain to their current roster might have a chance to get Russell Westbrook. And what I mean by minimal pain would be Goran Dragic, Myers, Leonard, and I'm going to throw in Justice Winslow because he would have no place on this roster with Butler and, and Westbrook here. If you could do that, I think most people, the initial thought was, oh, my God, we're getting a walking triple-double. It's when you walk it back and you take it through the third, fourth, and fifth considerations that you sort of stop it and give it pause. But i got to tell you, I still think the Heat are hell-bent. Maybe not at the price that the Thunder want. But it's, it's, it's like I said earlier this week, and I was on with Kevin Rogers, which got misquoted all over the place. I didn't say they were getting, Jimmy, uh, getting Russell Westbrook. I said every time Pat Riley has set his mind on getting someone – it almost always winds up getting that guy. Someone pointed it out to me, well, you were wrong last year. They wanted Jimmy Butler when he went to the Sixers. And I'm like, okay, but they eventually got Jimmy Butler. I mean, except for Durant and Hayward when they didn't have the, the setup to get them in free agency. It always seems to me, maybe, Chris, you can point to examples later in the show that I missed or whatever, but it always seems to me when you look at a situation like this with Pat, once he smells that raw meat, he just locks into it. Uh, agreed. And it's not only, and we're joining about Aaron Winderman from the Sun Sentinel, but it's not just Pat Riley, but it's also like when the NBA machine gets going and things start to look like they're heading in one yeah. direction, I think that's generally been uh, sort of on track. Even people that, that went all year long or, or, or that are going recently, all, the, the NBA knew nothing about uh, Kawhi Leonard because he pulled off this move that no one was expecting. Right. But every NBA podcast I listened to for a year said that Kawhi's going to the yeah. Clippers. And so right. like like those things tend to sort of build momentum sort of as self-fulfilling prophecies. And I think now, I want to ask you a couple of questions about this. One is, sure. are you aware of any teams that have outwardly expressed interest? Because Miami has been linked. Yes. I haven't seen a second team yet. And we were, I was with Heat people last night, and that's the exact question we had on our table. Is there even anyone out there? Because you know, Chris, if you're bidding only against yourself, you're not bidding all that much. And I think what Sam Presti has to do, he has to drum something up, whether he has to call Shams or whether he has to call Woj <laughs> or just get it put out there somehow, even if those teams try to cool the rumors. Because right now, you're right. The initial other teams, if you remember, were Detroit because they have draft picks. And with Reggie Jackson and Langston Galloway's contract, they can offset the money within a year, wash the money away, so to speak. And the Knicks, because, hey, they're the desperate Knicks. they got to do something. Those two teams are out there out at first. But again, you know, is, is Russell Westbrook, and this is a question I asked the morning guys, how much respect do you engender when you've been with the same team for the first 12 years of your career, when you've played through the loss of James Harden, of Serge Ibaka, of Kevin Durant, of Victor Oladipo? At what point does the team have to do right by you? Because if that does enter the equation, Russell Westbrook's made it pretty clear that his prime choice is Miami. And that's the thing that ultimately makes me feel like so. So that trade offer you mentioned earlier, where it's you know basically the salaries lining up, but Justice Winslow going just because he doesn't have a a, a role to play on this team. Well, yeah, Chris, just to interrupt you for a second. Exactly. If you're gonna have Jimmy Butler mm -hmm. and you're gonna have Russell Westbrook, you and I both know Justice Winslow is the best when he's on the ball. Correct? You yeah. agree with that? Mm -hmm. 
Right. So if he's not on the ball, God bless him, he's not spacing the floor even when he's making threes. No one is tracking him on the defensive end. They're letting him play free and clear. It would be better for Justice to get out, and I think for the Heat it just wouldn't make sense. I don't even know what role that Justice would have because I'm not so sure he'd even be the backup point guard in that situation. So that's why, to me, the most palatable combination for me would be the Heat to get off of their expiring money. You'd have to wait Myers-Leonard until September, the two months after when you can trade him again, along with other players. And you know what? They would save, uh, you know the numbers probably as well as me, I think like something like $120 million over the following three years on Westbrook. And you could do a lot worse than Justice Winslow, who I still think has enough fans around the league to fetch something in a trade if you want to do that. And the expiring contract of Goran, Goran Dragic, come February, when a contender needs a point guard for the final six months of the season, maybe even the Lakers or something, I think you could also trade him for more draft assets. Right, and you can also now open up some cap space uh, with which to start absorbing other yeah. You know, other teams' bad players in exchange for picks. And I think you saw Brooklyn start to rebuild that way, where you can start to build your team from all these picks you already have. And then on top of that, you can. So I think Oklahoma City, like, people say that if you give up just only the salary filler plus maybe one young player to make this work, that Oklahoma City wouldn't be getting enough. But I really do think that the etch a sketch being shaken for them is all that they need out of this trade. And I'm, I'm surprised that it gets reported today by the Miami Herald that they want two young assets because I just don't see the market or, or the desirability in that contract of the player that we're talking about to fetch anything more than well, one well, for, young for, player. Uh, first of all, God bless Bowery, you know, and, 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 and here's the deal, though, okay? Of course they want. We all want. Sure. We all show up to work and want more money and want better conditions <laughs> and want a microphone that's not dirty and a chair that doesn't squeak, but you still show up to work and you take what you Hey, you know what? Those things are being fixed in a week. All right. So it'll, it'll all get better with a little bit further drive for some of us. But the point I'm trying to make here in all candor is, of course they should want. And again, here's the difference between so much of what has transpired in the previous two weeks. There were timing elements there. As you know, Chris, whether the Heat could do another deal before getting hard-capped under Jimmy Butler, whether other teams, the Lakers with Anthony Davis and the draft choices going out, there's no time frame here. The NBA is not playing another meaning, meaningful game, God bless Summer League, until three months from now in, mm-hmm. in, in October when the season starts. So, yeah, there, there's probably a good two months left for the Thunder to play hardball. If they think that they can get increasing assets, why wouldn't they? And you know what, Chris, I'll even ask you this. You're the Miami Heat. You can make the offer of Dragic, and you can make the offer of Myers Leonard and Justice Winslow. Would you ever tell the Thunder, I know there's negotiations involved here, would you ever unilaterally pull that from the table, or would you sort of let it be known, you know, or, or just make it clear it's going to be there? I no, I I think I think that's a standing offer uh, for, for me. Again, if you're interested in doing the trade, now the thing that I'm curious in because I'm someone who's in the camp of I'm not sure that even for the offer that you're talking about that I would do Russell Westbrook because one, I think you're basically deciding this is my team and and yeah. and and I'm going for the next four years with Westbrook and with Butler and I just think you can afford to 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 wait around and I just wonder from your perspective, do you think that acquiring Russell Westbrook adds a lot to an NBA team because I am of the opinion that it just doesn't add enough to make this trade worth doing under any circumstances just because of what you're going to be paying at the end. Of the Heat's limitations over the next two seasons, this season and next when you still have the Waiters and the James Johnson contracts, 
I think it might be your only avenue if you want to. You and I argue always about, you know, lottery and, and playing for the future and going for all in seasons, but I think it's the only way for the next two years for the Heat to make a tangible move from 11th tie for 10th in the East to something maybe as high as the number four seed, number one. Number two, I know everyone has run the numbers and said, if you have Butler and Westbrook on your books in 2021, I'm sure you've been watching SportsCenter tonight, everyone's already talking about the next great summer of free agency, that the Heat won't have the money for a max player. Except what we've seen now, and you know the term, everyone's used it, Bill Simmons, pre-agency. Mm-hmm. Players don't always get to free agency. Anthony Davis, an example. So the Heat will not have the money to outright sign another free agent in 2021 if they have the money of Butler and they have the money of Westbrook on the books. But they can still trade some of their expiring contracts the season before that to someone who's going to become a free agent and therefore obtain that player's bird rights and get their third guy there. So I think what you have to look at it, and Chris, this is a real complex equation, and obviously I know where you stand on this, but... Could you see, of all those 2021 free agents, whether it's DeRozan or or LaMarcus Aldridge or a guy named Kawhi Leonard or something like that, that if you have Westbrook and you have a more mature Westbrook, a more mature Butler, could one other player step in there, and two years from now you're again talking at least Eastern Conference Finals contention? My my thing would be that you wait for someone else's pre-agency to be your second guy, and that okay. I think, and I think Russell Westbrook being that guy that's an attraction. I I don't know. I I don't know if he has that kind of attractive value to the rest of the NBA based off of his playing style. And I'm just not of the opinion that Russell Westbrook as your second guy, and then you go and get a third. To me, it's you hold your cards for the second guy because even if there is a pre agency situation where someone's going to be available, you're going to want to have your Winslow, your Hero, and your Bam ready to go because you don't have first round picks to trade. You have to hold on to those things wisely because ultimately those are going to be the things that fetch you the haul in return. So to me, you hold whatever you have, if it's expiring money, if you if you sort of fold it over in a cap space a year from now, you hold your gunpowder for that Chris, second move rather than Westbrook it, being the second move. But the money doesn't fold into cap space really because of the Butler contract. Mm-hmm. So you have to sort of look at Leonard and Goran as expiring commodities at the trading deadline. I agree you can go until then to flip Goran's $19 million, Myers Leonard's $11 million, in other words, to get a $30 million player. But after that, because of the accelerator in Jimmy Butler's contract, plus the money that you still unfortunately owe Deion Waiters, James Johnson, and, and to a lesser extent, Kelly Olynyk going forward, it's not like the $30 million of Myers Leonard and Goran Dragic coming off the books, as you know, Chris, mm-hmm. turns into $30 million of cap space next summer. It does not. I don't, it turns into negligible cap space next summer. So while I'm not saying the Heat are on the clock now or August or September or October, I think come February they will be. And if they want to do something with these expirings, just like they got off of Hassan Whiteside's money, then they have to do it by February. Hassan was not getting going anywhere for anyone. Goran could. Goran's still a good player. I think mm-hmm. you'd agree with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going and... to ask you something odd, and, and just to put you on the spot here on your show. For this Miami Heat team at this moment, who's the better player for the fit, Goran Dragic or Russell Westbrook? I, I, I think, to, to, I, I think if you, if you include contract in the value, 
I think I go for Goron. I mean, yeah, I, I I just think yeah. right. And and again, these are sort of alpha personalities, a one leading the team kind of guys in both Jimmy and Russell Westbrook. And I just don't know what coexisting there looks like. To me, you'd rather find a big that makes sense to partner with Jimmy Butler, or you know, a guard that you know maybe is you know a, a shoot first point guard that is efficiently scoring, rather right. than two guys right. that are sort of leading their game yeah. with mid-range jumpers. Like an off-the-ball guy that, that Dwayne sort of became with LeBron or someone who doesn't need the ball in his hands all the time, I agree. I will tell you a little background here, and pe- please, aggregators out there on the web, don't overstate this. Myers Leonard wants to take number zero. The Heat have not officially issued him that because you know who wears number zero? <laughs> Russell Westbrook. <laughs> so I'm just saying, it's yeah. crazy. There are so many smoking guns out there that I can't ignore it. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm already trying to make sure my plane has internet when I fly back from Vegas tomorrow. <laughs> and yet, here's what's crazy. I don't know if it's going to happen in those five hours or in five hours in September. I mean, you talk about constantly refreshing your Twitter when yep. you're out on date night with the wife. It's like I really would hope this will be sooner rather than later, and I'll give you another smoking gun. There was Eric Spolster told me in Sacramento, I'll talk to you guys, media, in Las Vegas. He left Vegas without talking to us today. Why? Because he knows what the questions are going to be. Mm-hmm. He can tell us all you want. You know, you can't ask about Westbrook, but we can ask questions like I would. Are you happy with your roster? Do you need another move? Do you expect <laughs> another move? Are you already game planning with what you have right now? You know all the wait? tricks, Ira. Yeah, you know what? He knows all the tricks, and that's why he's on a flight right right now back to his wife and child in in South Florida because of that. That's why, Chris, this isn't going away, and I hope you have a bunch of shows coming up because, really, this could fill the station airwaves right now until the Dolphins yeah. open camp. It's incredible. Um, now, it, it, my my question would be: Do you think there's organizational split over this? Ooh, see, that's interesting. Greg Cody had a thing in his column the other day that said uh, Mickey Arison wasn't as in favor. And we all know that Greg appears on Dan Lebertard's show, and Dan has very good relationships with Pat Riley and Mickey Arison. So I'm not going to lie. I absolutely paid attention to that little nugget in his column mm-hmm. around all the other stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know what, you know how they always say, like, you know, you know, smarter minds than us can figure these things out. I mean, Andy Ellisberg's a smart mind. He knows what $170 million over four years does to your, to your cap, to your hard cap, to your luxury tax. I mean, that might be automatic repeater tax stuff, right, Chris? Yeah. When you're talking four years of 170 all of a sudden, in that contract is in the later years. You'd have to be in the luxury tax because it'll be so hard to avoid it. So, yeah, so saner minds get together. It's really interesting. Pat Riley loves him a star. And you know what? As you know this, if the Heat wanted to quiet this right now, they could through very subtly, through second channels, let all the beat writers and all the radio hosts and all the, the Wojas and Shams out there know the Miami Heat is no longer involved. And maybe we will hear that in coming days. Maybe the Heat will realize this thing is taking on too much life and they're going to pass on it. But until we hear that, until Woj or Shams or, or Dan or someone says, Pat Riley said it's too rich for his taste, then you bet I am trying to figure out every angle of how the math works, how the machinations work, and how the chemistry works. And last thing for you, Ira, there are the dorks out there that are into the summer league that are enjoying the performances Yay. of varying players. Uh, what, what, what has stood out for you in terms of uh, some of the individuals uh, that have played for this heat, uh, summer league team? You know what? I'm going to throw it back at you, Chris. Some of you mentioned before how the Heat don't have draft choices and they're not protecting their future. If every summer they can come up with a Derrick Jones Jr., and a Kendrick Nunn, and find players like this, 
then I'm less at ill ease over them giving up their mid-round first-round picks as long as they don't become lottery picks, like their 2021 pick. It's amazing how every summer, look, Duncan Robinson might not be the be-all, end-all, but I think, Chris, when you watch NBA basketball, he's at least a 13th man. You'd agree with that, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So they found him last summer. You know, they found uh, Derek Jones Jr., who might be at least an NBA ninth man. Again, the kind of guys you get in the 20s in the draft anyway. And I think Kendrick Nunn right now can slot in as a backup shooting guard, get your buckets, as a backup point guard. He's fourth in assists in summer league. So as long as every summer they come out with one of these, I just did a story at sunsentinel.com on Kendrick Nunn, then I think you feel a little less ill at ease about giving up the draft choices. So no team, I don't think, maximizes Summer League. There's a reason why the Miami team was in Sacramento for a week ahead of time before that Summer League and then played in those games with other West Coast teams, Golden State, the Lakers, and Sacramento, because they really prioritize Summer. And I'm telling you, if they had another Summer League to go to after this, they'd be on their way. And you also uh, invested the second-round pick in Okpala as well. So I, I don't doubt for a second that the, the Heat's ability to do this and do well in the G League and do well in developing players. My, my first-round pick thing and second-round pick thing uh, is about their ability to execute trades now, uh, particularly as, as they continue to build out this, build out this roster. So uh, lots to get to with the Heat, and I very much appreciate Ira Winderman giving me so much of his time. Again, check out the coverage from Summer League on Twitter at Ira Heatbeat and, of course, in the pages of the Sun Sentinel. Appreciate the time. See, I can give you 20 minutes and not give you a straight answer. Thanks, <laughs> appreciate it. It's, it's all questions back at me instead. Ira's the best, and uh, we appreciate the time. Back with more after this on WQAM. I'm here until 10 o'clock on 560 WQAM. Our thanks to Ira Winderman for joining us in the previous segment. We had some NBA news happen during the commercial break, courtesy of Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. Nothing related to Russell Westbrook. Uh, far more mundane, you might say. The Spurs, who had agreed to a two-year $20 million offer with Marcus Morris, have pulled the deal and are instead signing free agent Trey Lyles, who was made unrestricted, I believe, by the Utah Jazz. Now, it was one of those where it was reported as Marcus Morris is backing out of his deal with the Spurs to go and sign for the Knicks. But for me, that can only really happen. I don't think you can really do that to a team unless there's sort of a mutual plan. And I think you have now seen it come together, which is the Spurs pull the offer for Morris. He is happy to go sign with the Knicks one year, $15 million is what the contract will be with him in New York, and then it'll be a separate deal for Trey Lyles in San Antonio. So that seems to be more like what they would do. I mean, a bit weird what San Antonio has done recently in terms of signing the least efficient outside shooters in the NBA uh, to be their stars, not really have shooters. Um, But the New York Knicks now are a very odd combination of players and contracts. Uh, So their team right now... I mean, it's just it, it's a bunch of dudes, right? Bobby Portis, two years thirty. Julius Randle, three years sixty-three. Reggie Bullock, two years twenty-one. Todd Gibson, two years twenty. You have R.J. Barrett on on the books. Wayne Ellington, two years sixteen. Alfred Payton, two years sixteen. Frank Nilakina, three years twelve. 
But aren't they all like on two-year deals? Right. Yeah. Like it, a team it, option. Right, right. It's all. It's all based off of. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm going to look it up here. So. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, Neil Aquino is on a team option in 2020. Dennis Smith Jr. is on a team option in 2020. Reggie Bullock, Wayne Ellington, uh, Kevin Knox, um, Bobby Portis, they're all on on team options. So it's basically uh, keep kicking the can down the road and see if we can do something in free agency. But uh, unfortunately for them, the owner is not selling and helping them with that problem. And I've I, look, as hard as it is for me to say, I feel bad for James Dolan, man. I feel bad that basically the NBA largesse told the James Dolan, nah, we're good. Don't want your money. Don't want to be near your famous team with celebrity fans and the biggest thing in New York. I mean, Madison Square Garden is in the middle of New York. It is not playing for the Giants who play in New Jersey. It's not playing for the Mets who play in Queens. It's not playing for the Jets who play in New Jersey. It's not you know playing for, I mean, the Rangers and the Knicks play in the middle of town. The Brooklyn Nets play in the middle of town. The Yankees play in the middle of town. But, man, it is hard for me to comprehend how much the NBA has rejected James Dolan. When he got got the big hockey free agent, he got Artemi Panarin from the Columbus Blue Jackets for like nine years and, you know, $90 million or something like that. Got the big hockey free agent, and the NBA players just say, nope, no interest in playing for you. I gotta be honest with you. I cried no tears for the New York Knicks, <laughs> like at all. But like, okay, their fans are annoying, and we had a rivalry with them in the '90s. But it is hopeless. And I think at times fans have felt this way about. Well, definitely, we felt that way about Loria. I mean, let's be honest. Oh, definitely. Like James Dolan is New York's Loria. No, he James Dolan actually beat out Jeffrey Loria for worst owner in sports on a couple different occasions. And and. However it is that Marlins fans felt where it's like, not only am I, and look, Jeffrey Loria killed my interest in baseball because the Marlins were never competitive. And I'm just, I, I, baseball is not enough to grab me as, you know, not a fan of a local team. If the Marlins are good, I, I will sort of, you know, be back in on baseball as a sport. But if the Marlins are continually irrelevant, I'm just, I, I'm not there. And so whatever, it is so helpless as a sports fan. Some people have felt, and maybe even still do that feel that way about Stephen Ross. I don't agree with them, but it is helpless to have ownership that can't fix it. Like to be a Washington professional football team fan, your owner is always going to be in the way. The Knicks, the owner is always going to be in the way. And imagine, now, I don't know if there are a ton of Clippers fans, but the Clippers fans that are, the difference between Steve Ballmer and Donald Sterling only owning the team is everything. It is only the relevance of your franchise in the sport. It is everything turning over and feeling better because the ownership changed. And people, I think, were prepared to feel that way about the Marlins. It hasn't happened, right, because they're still cheap. They still have among the lowest payrolls. They haven't proven that they're going to go out and spend even when they have success. The fans aren't, you know, the the, the stands aren't packed with people. And I don't, I, I think that's one of the disappointments of the Jeter era is that it wasn't just, well, it's it's the same team plus ownership that will spend. But at the same time, I, I do think that there is at least a little bit of hope that there is a bit more of a competent plan brought on by this new ownership group for the Knicks, man. What do you do if the guy doesn't sell? You continue to suck. You continue to tell yourself, oh, the mystique of the garden. People want yeah. to come play at the garden. No one cares. Yeah. They'd rather play at the Barclays Center. Right. And and 
you can still enjoy the mystique of the Garden as opposition. I, I think people, I think LeBron in particular is someone who really enjoys playing at, 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 at MSG. Dwayne Wade enjoyed playing at MSG. Like, it is a real thing, but not enough to be like, well, you know, I play there twice a year. I enjoy it. I have a nice time. And then I don't have to be, have James Dolan as my owner for the other 39 of my home games for the rest of the year and feeling like my organization is incompetent behind me. But as the players have further and further seized the power, it, it's not like the appeal of major markets. I mean, this was the major market summer. Kawhi, Clippers, L.A., Paul George, Clippers, L.A., Anthony Davis, Lakers, L.A., Kyrie Irving, New York, Kevin Durant, New York. This is the major markets seizing control of the league again after it had been a while. And, like, Chicago is the next one. That's and another sort of case of ownership not being good, but Chicago is the next one to have a resurgence, right? The major markets kind of been down. And actually, you look at the Eastern Conference, part of the reason why it hasn't really worked is because, or why the East has been so much weaker compared to the West is their major markets, D.C., Boston, New York, and to, in the last few years, Miami, have not been good enough to sort of compete on the major market level. And D.C. is still not going to be there with the cap with the Caps, with the Wizards, but the Nets will be there, and maybe a few more. Philly will be there, and Boston will be competitive, but... Um, not on the level that's sort of t- enough to sort of keep the Eastern Conference's weight. I think part of it is not, a, is not only the fact that they just don't have any superstars in those markets right now, but a lot of it does come down to, like we said, just ownership. Ownership like, in front office. Ownership in front office. Like, I'm sorry, the Miami Heat are one of the most stable organizations in, in sports. Yep. It comes down to ownership, front office. Mm-hmm. They have a team vision. They have a team personality. Like, who are the Bulls since Jordan has gone? Yeah. You know, they had that little moment there with Tom Thibodeau, which, by the way, I, I've 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 always found this to be the, the the funniest joke ever. Remember when the remember when was it Tom Thibodeau or whoever was running the Bulls at the time won Executive of the Year instead of yeah. Pat Riley for yeah. the Big Three because you know <laughs> because you know he went out and signed Carlos Boozer, <laughs> uh, who I guess it would have been uh, James was it uh, Gar Foreman and James yeah. uh, James Paxson yeah Jim Paxson yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Jim Paxson but uh, but yeah I mean Chicago. They're another team, poorly run, that should be better as a big market. Even Atlanta. Atlanta should be a big market in the NBA, uh, considering population and demographics. But the Atlanta New York. Hawks, but the Atlanta Hawks, let me tell you, the Atlanta Hawks, I don't, know, I don't know if we've ever had this discussion about the Atlanta Hawks. I don't know what it is about the Atlanta Hawks. I don't care if they have a superstar like Dominique Wilkins yeah. or a solid team, you know, or, or they draft well. Whatever it is about the Atlanta Hawks, they are just forever going to be just a mid-level NBA team that yeah. makes the playoffs and just can't close. I they don't feel, care how they, much talent they have. They feel small time almost no matter the situation that they're in. Absolutely. They, they feel like a small team. But Atlanta in the NBA should be a big-time market that like is competitive at the highest level. Even Detroit, to a lesser extent, um, given their history and given, uh, again, population and being in downtown and all that. But, I mean, the East has not held, held up their weight, and a lot of it has to do with front office and ownership. And, and no clearer example than the New York Knicks. When we return, robot umpires are here. Are you here for it? We'll discuss it next. Standing in the rain with his head hung low, couldn't get a ticket. It was a sold out show. 
Chris Winningham here until 10 on 560 WQAM. Love a bit of Jukebox Hero. The, the, the stings in it are just are my favorite bit. By the way, Frito has texted into uh, so I said James Paxson and Jim Paxson. It's actually John Paxson. So I thought it was so the I, former, I, former I, I player. Went, I, I went uh, I went third time of asking and I still couldn't get it right. But um, our thanks to Aaron Winderman for joining us earlier on in the show. Now I'm reading from the pages of the Washington Post. This is from York, Pennsylvania. Dateline. Professional baseball allowed a glimpse at its future here Wednesday night for keen-eyed observers of the home plate umpire's right ear and back pocket. A computer officially called balls and strikes for the first time in the game's history in the United States at a minor league all-star game. Major League Baseball in February inked a three-year agreement with the independent eight-team Atlantic League to install experimental rules in line with Commissioner Rob Manfred's vision for a faster, more action-packed game. Among the first changes discussed was an automated balls and strike regime run via a panel above home plate made by sports data firm TrackMan. After a half season of testing, the system was ready for the league all-star game, debuting with great fanfare and an unambiguous strike. (laughs) <laughs> they, I guess the PA announcer uh, announced, take selfies, you were, you were at the first game. So basically, I, I, there's a photograph of the umpire, he's wearing AirPods. So I guess, I guess, Fantastic. I, I, guess they have, I guess they have to have uh, charged AirPods. Um, but uh, the article goes on to say, the Atlantic League altered a number of rules to begin the season, including enlarging bases by three inches on each side, banning mound visits and the defensive shift, and requiring pitchers to face at least three batters. More rule changes are coming in the 140-game second season half. The league is set to roll out automated balls and strikes systems to each of its eight ballparks in the coming weeks. Officials will also ban pickoff moves in which the pitcher remains on the rubber, expand the drop third strike rule to all counts. The drop, oh, okay, wait, the drop third strike rule to all counts? I don't understand what that means. Expand the drop third strike rule to all counts. That's actually beyond me, to be honest with you. So... If you, if it's like if it's foul tipped, and and the and catcher back, back in the glove, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Anyway, allow bunting players to fall off a two a two strike pitch before striking out, and command umpires to rule on check swings in a batter friendly manner. So many changes are coming now. If these are all now, the the MLB signed a deal with this league saying this is what Rob Manfred's vision of the game is. Is more of these time. kinds, more of these kinds of rule changes, make it more action packed, make it quicker. But again, I just don't know. I think these are incremental in the end. I think these are now. Now for me, the balls and strikes thing is fundamental. Like I, I just, I don't like the home plate umpire changing every night and determining. Well, you know that guy shades it inside and low, and the other guy shades it high and outside, and you know you have a different strike zone that you're approaching, and you are approaching each game with a different scouting report on the umpire, much less your opposing pitcher. Yeah, well, there's one, there's one, there's one term that I that they, I would call a euphemism mm-hmm. that gets thrown around, especially in baseball. It's called, oh, do you want to eliminate the human factor? Well, the human factor is just a euphemism for saying, do you really want to take mistakes out of the game? And my answer is yes. Yes. Yes, I Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yes, I would like to take mistakes out of this sport. Now, I do think that, like, for example, VAR in soccer, instant replay in the other sports, does add a bit of a tedious 
ponderous nature about it. But there's nothing ponderous about something on the Jumbotron or you wearing some AirPods and it goes strike and that's it. And 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 you and you point and, and you point and it's a strike. Like there's nothing that takes any more time by virtue of the technology than the umpire getting a signal or something, or even if it just shows up on the scoreboard, strike, ball, ball, strike, like, and uniform, making that a uniform system of adjudicating the game is the right thing to do. But to me, the other stuff, making the bases bigger or, you know, adding adding, adding a pitch clock or things like that are things that ultimately for me, if if the answer is this is what we have to do to get people back interested in baseball, I I, I don't think that these things are your no. answer. I don't even think as much as I like the automated balls and strikes and it being uniform park to park and getting rid of the home plate umpire doesn't mean I'm going to watch more baseball next year. If they make baseball games eight minutes shorter, I'm not really going to notice the difference. Like we're going to have to be we have to talk about sweeping changes and ultimately. It gets back to what we were talking about last night, which is even if I make a baseball game instead of three hours, 10 minutes, two hours, 55, it's still a major commitment. It's still six games, sometimes seven a week for a six-month period that ultimately, if you want to watch every fa- every game that your team plays, you have to dedicate basically a full day of your week to watching them. And you just it, it, there isn't the same scarcity. And... Most of the time, you're not really interested in opposing teams other than your own. You know about your team, but we talked last night about there not being national figures in baseball by virtue of their lack of personality. See, to me, there are three changes in baseball that need to be made aside from what we talked about yesterday, which is really important. Mm-hmm. The The personalities of the game need yeah. to be able to stick out. Number one is there needs to be more scoring in baseball. I'm sorry. This isn't 1802. Nobody cares about small ball anymore. All right. But we've basically gotten rid of small ball. I mean, no, we we, we, we kind of, like, I know they were complaining about the humidors, but there's still too many too, like, like I hate to say this because it's, like, really bad, but, you know, baseball was really exciting in the 90s when, when everybody was juiced and they were ki- and they were killing, like, 70 home runs a game. And you know what? And the games weren't shorter. They were actually longer. But you want to know why nobody cared? Because the games were exciting. No, but you know what? There are a similar number of home runs hit now. There are no, more, no, 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 no. I mean, we are setting records for home runs. We're no setting, way, no way. We are setting no records way. for home runs. I'd have, to, I'd, have to see, I'd have to see that number. I really would. Because you're talking about when Barry Bonds was hitting like 70, Mark McGuire was hitting like 60. You had like regular, you had like a regular you third in, baseman you had hitting 35 home runs. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, but I, I remember reading, okay, uh, well, June, well, first off, May of this year, MLB record for home runs in a month. And September 2017, MLB sets new record for home runs in a season. Okay, but total home runs for the year, I guarantee you, are not matching up to the numbers they had in the 90s. And I'm, remember, I'm are, saying remember it, is, are, are, are they putting an asterisk next to those 90s no, years, No, no. What I'm saying is most home runs in a season by the whole of Major League Baseball, wow. 2017. I did, not, I did not know that, but... Like again, te- I, like teams are going for home runs now. It's sort of the market inefficiency. The thing is, is that you'll go twenty five minutes without anyone seeing put a bat on the ball because they're all striking out trying to hit home runs. Yeah, fair and, enough there. Yeah, but but, but you but, talked about it earlier. Mm-hmm. The dis the, the disparage between the between the parks. You yeah. got to bring the fences in a little bit here, man. Marlins Park is cavernous. Yeah, it's hard to hit out there, and it's boring to go out there and watch and to watch a pitcher to watch a pitching duel and watch balls die going out going out to to right center all the time. Mm-hmm. 
It's just it's just not fun. The other thing I'd have to tell you is, you know, the baseball season is long. Like, let me ask you something. If you're in, if you're what, if there's an, two bad teams this year, you got the Mariners and you got the Orioles. Okay, mm-hmm. they're gonna play a game in September. Okay, does anybody in in those prospective cities care about a game in September when they're out of the pennant races? No, you want to know why? Because they're watching the NFL, they're watching the Seahawks, and they're watching mm-hmm. the Redskins. Do you, if you if your number one competition, especially the last month of the season, is the NFL, why are you not putting your best foot forward? Your pennant races should be ending by August, so that September becomes a playoff month of baseball, and World Series gets played in October. Remember when? Remember Mister October? Yeah. Remember when? Now, now it's played in November, and fr- it's what's coming up frigid conditions. Now the World Series is played in. It's a joke. I, th- I think you got to think you got to have less games. You got to find a way to right. bring in more offense, and you got to bring in the fences. Well, we're we're on we're on pace for a historic home run season. Uh, the home run record was set in 2017 at 1.26 home runs per game. This year we're at 1.37. We've already had 3,000. This was uh, an article uh, dated July 8, so three days ago. Uh, we have already seen 3,691 home runs at the All Star break, uh, and we are on pace for a record. So home runs to me is not the issue. Um, it is a continuous amount of action and ultimately number of games. I think Major League Baseball can cut a significant number of games because it is a significant commitment to be a baseball fan. It just is. Like, if you want to be a Marlins fan that watches all of the games, that's like 18 hours, 20 hours. It's basically a full day's worth of hours that you're spending your week in front of the television or, or at the game watching your team, which seems like you know an amount of commitment that seems reasonable, but Dolphins fans... Or the Dolphins ask for three hours and fifteen minutes of your time every week, sixteen weeks a year. That's it. That's why I'm saying cut the month of regular season baseball in September out. You got to cut that mm-hmm. out, and you might, you know what, might even want to cut, cut start the season in a, a month later and spread your games out more instead yeah. of having instead of having what what is it? You end up with like what six, mm-hmm. uh, five to six games a week. You know what? Cut that down three to four games a week. Mm-hmm. Have a series. Have a series for the, uh, the and, week or two, and, and, and make and, and, each and, game count. And you want to know another thing? I've always been against this. I don't like interleague play. Mm-hmm. I like when the World Series was like, wow, these two teams have these two leagues with two different rules. Yeah, and it, it, never it creates scarcity. It creates a cre- scarcity and interest. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I mean, I think these are all things that can happen, but um, I, I, I do think that at the very least, the commissioner's office is thinking about changes to the game that could make this a better game more palatable to the fans that they're more interested in. But I just don't know that the incremental stuff, to me, it's, you know, getting rid of the commercial. I mean, and look, for me, the, the two most obvious things you can do are short-term losses, right? Which is get rid of a significant number of games to make each one more meaningful and get rid of the commercial breaks in between innings. That the two and a half minutes in between every inning is actually the major source of your time issue. If you think that it's, it takes too much time, you can get rid of the commercial breaks. It takes 45 seconds to get the teams on and off, and you've saved a minute and 45 seconds nine times a game. That's your 20 minutes that you're talking about. But ultimately, you're talking about lost revenue. If you're talking about getting rid of home games, 
you know, if you're if you're saying shorten the season to 82 or 100, you're talking about get rid of getting rid of 30 to 40 home games for each owner. How are you going to make up that money? And if I tell you an increased interest, well, that doesn't necessarily have a tangible value. And I think baseball is fine collecting their money on their local and national television deals and ultimately seeing the decline of the sport. But I, I just for me, these changes that we're talking about are a bit too incremental to actually solve the problem. Chris Whittingham here until 10 on WQAM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t 